0: I'm Todd Starnes, and I have the wonderful privilege to be the pastor of Odessa First Assembly, and we are grateful that you're joining us for this podcast. It is growing, and it's exciting, so please take time to like, to follow, to share, whatever social media platform you're joining us on. I'm excited about this series. We are looking at Passover to Pentecost. What happened... In between the resurrection and the ascension and then what happened on the day of Pentecost when the church was birth I pray that these messages will bless you encourage you so let's jump right in to this week's message A resurrection accomplished and is accomplishing or let our hearts be good soil ready to receive your word we pray in Jesus name amen I'm, I'm so excited about this morning, I, um, I am a cartoon fan, any cartoon fans in the house, I, I love animated shows, I love, uh, I know it's like I'm approaching 50 and I still like cartoons, but uh, one of my favorites uh, that used to be, I, it may still be, I don't even know if they still do printed, do they do printed newspapers, I don't even know. I'm, all, I'm like all digital and everything, but I remember the B.C. cartoons. may remember the B.C. cartoons in the paper? Well, there's one that comes around that I just, I'm reminded of every year on Good Friday. We're going to have it on the screen for you. I know it may be kind of hard to see, um, but it says, one, you know, there's one guy who says, I hate the term Good Friday. The other guy asks, why? My Lord was hanged on a tree that day. If you're going to be hanged on that tree and he volunteered to take your place, how would you feel? He responds, Good. And the guy walks off, and says, Have a nice day. It is it is kind of difficult to think about of we knowing what Jesus suffered for us on that good Friday, but it was good for us that Christ took our place. The scripture says it this way in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus took my place. Jesus took your place. Last week, we took a bird's eye view of, of the Passover from Exodus all the way into how it connects with the Last Supper to how it impacts the way we celebrate um, communion today. And I do want to remind you that just during over the next month, throughout going into May, probably the second week of May, we're going to have communion up here available. And, uh, you know, it's been a couple of years since we've done this. And so, we used to be kind of the mode of doing this, but this is, this is almost like brand new again because it's been a couple of years, but this to encourage you that you can come up on your own or as a family during the worship time and celebrate communion. You don't have to do it, you, we don't have to do communion corporately, but it's important for you to do it on your own. And matter of fact, I would even encourage you, if you want to take some of the elements home with you. I know many people that celebrate communion in their home every single day, and so you're even welcome to take some of the elements home with you if you would like to do that in the coming weeks. But we looked at what the Passover was and what the blood and his body represented in this wafer and grape juice, but it reminds us that Jesus was stripped naked for us when he was punished. He was... He endured the cat of nine tails for us. He carried the cross to Golgotha for us, Calvary, that, that, uh, that, that hillside that looked like a skull. He was nailed to the cross for us. He was, his hands and his feet were pierced for us. He was punished for us. He died on that cross for us. He took our place. The scripture tells us in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 53, some of you are familiar with this passage, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as from one whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Then verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. Make no mistake, the punishment that Jesus chose to suffer, I'm going to say it again, that he chose to suffer, that he took our place, it was extremely brutal. I don't think there's really words we could ever colorfully describe of what it was like during those trials of that early, late, late, late Friday night into Saturday morning. I don't think there are words to describe it in detail. There's films that have tried. I probably one of the closest depictions could have, maybe the Passion of the Christ. But I know they have tried. But listen to me, God's plan. But Jesus' choice. You see, the plan was set from the very beginning. You see, when the fall of man happened way back in Genesis, it did not take God by surprise. Our Father in heaven is omniscient, omnipotent. Are you with me this morning? It's not like God was scrambling because sin entered the world. God had a plan before the foundation of the world, and he knew that it'd be through his son Jesus. And so God had the plan, but it was still Jesus' choice. He matters, scripture tells us in John chapter 10, verse 18 no one takes it from me, but I lay down my life. On what? My own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This is a charge I've received from my Father. The Father's plan, but Christ's choice. And then comes Silent Saturday. I know as Pentecostals, we're sometimes not familiar with all the days of, of Holy Week. But we find Silent Saturday. That's where he's in the tomb. He was taken from the cross, placed in the tomb Mark 15 sheds a little bit of light on this. It's Mark 15, verse 46, and it says, And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And a matter of fact, the Romans even put guards in front of that stone. But listen to me. Tradition, church tradition may call it Silent Saturday, but I can guarantee you that Jesus wasn't silent on that Saturday. Do you know what Jesus was doing on that Silent Saturday? What he was doing, he went into hell and took back the keys. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he took ownership back what was his. He was far from quiet that day. He ripped the gates off its hinges. And he was, it was, it was fulfilling prophecy that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The days following, you know, but here on earth, after his crucifixion, I, you know, the the scripture, I mean, it unrolls it, it lays it out for us that, I mean, the disciples, they, the followers, they scattered. I mean, here they are, have been with Jesus these three years. And, and And heard his teaching and heard his preaching and and saw the miracles and all that he even said about his own death and resurrection, and so but they found themselves without hope. They found themselves without a shepherd now that he was dead. They truly believed that he was the Messiah through his life, and that he would change the world, but this whole death thing it It shook them up, and if I can go back to Matthew, the verse I shared earlier, it says, He is not here, for He is risen, and there's one more clause in there that it says in Matthew. For He did exactly what He said that He was going to do. Powerful. And so that brings us to Resurrection Day. That brings us to what we celebrate today In Luke chapter 24, I... We are, we're gonna look at quite a few verses this morning and, and some longer passages than normal. But I want us to look at this, this account in Luke chapter 24. And you see, as we've talked about last week, you, you see this take place in all the Gospels and you know, it all gives us a different perspective. But I, I chose Luke 24 this morning, beginning in verse one. It says, on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find a body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, I, I, I don't know that perplexed probably fully describes of how they felt in that moment. Perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Verse five. And they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Now they weren't necessarily apostles yet, but the eleven disciples, the apostles. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale. So here they are. I mean, this is how much in disbelief they are. I mean, Christ has died, they placed in the tomb. These ladies went to go see him in the tomb. They come back and they're like, listen, we saw angels. He's not there, he's risen. And they're doubting these, are, these are what would be the apostles, these disciples. But these words seemed idle to them, and they did not believe them. Verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking, looking in, and he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. I imagine he was in a little bit of shock. I mean, it was not until this woman named Mary went to visit the tomb that hope was beginning to be restored, this tomb was empty. He had risen. I love that verse. Why do you seek the living among the dead? I love the different accounts of the resurrection in different gospels. I mean, the book of John, you know, we read right here about how Peter, you know, he goes there, right? And and he, he looks in and sees it empty. And the scripture tells us that he went home marveling at what would happen. If you read um, John's account, I love John's account of this as well Because something happens There's a foot race that happens between John and Peter To get to the tomb And I love how John, the, the letter after him Because he wrote it I mean, he's, he's really good about throwing in there And the other disciple outran Peter And reached the tomb first The other disciple was John He's like, listen, just so you know, I'm faster. But I want to take just a few moments and look at the historical aspect of the resurrection. I want you to hang on with me. You see, when we look at the historical, you see, what is not up for debate is if there was a man by the name of Jesus. If we're just talking pure, secular, um, outside-of-church spiritual experience... There is no doubt, the historical record tells us, and there are many atheist and agnostic historians that agree, there was a man that lived in the first century by the name of Jesus. And that he was a teacher. And that he did these things. There, there's no debate about it. That, I mean, there's still people debating whether or not Jesus is a myth. I mean, the historical record tells us there was a man by the name of Jesus. But that brings us kind of the resurrection. This is something entirely different. Some say that his body was stolen. We see that unfold in Scripture even. I mean, simple problem, um, the Roman guards testimony about what happened. And then the leaders were like, okay, we're not going to tell people that. You can go back and look at it. I mean, every year it seems like the Discovery Channel would have you believe that he ran away with Mary Magdalene and had a family and died of a ripe old age, some believe that Jesus only appeared to be dead. And when he was taken off the cross, he just was recouped back to health. I think think it's easier to believe in a resurrection. Some, Some say, listen to this one. This is what some skeptics say. Some skeptics say that when the ladies went to go visit the tomb, that they got lost and went to a different tomb that was not being used yet. <laughs> I mean, come on, really? I mean, this is, this, is our, this is our educated people telling us about the resurrection? Maybe you know about Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel, he's the author of The Case for Christ. It's a, if you've never read The Case for Christ, I'd encourage you to do that. I think, actually, there's a movie out now or coming out or just came out about the case of Christ and about his conversion and how that it happened. But how his conversion happened, he was an atheist that was passionately trying to disprove the resurrection. And for 21 months, he went on a mission of interviews and talking to scholars and looking for this evidence of the resurrection. During his probe, he found medical and circumstantial evidence for the resurrection and an empty tomb, but then he started to pick apart the Bible verse by verse, and by the end of his quest, he reached a verdict to himself that surprised him, and he wrote this in his book. And the case for Christ, I was ambushed by the amount and quality of the evidence that Jesus is the unique Son of God. He went on to say, "To maintain my atheism, I would have to swim upstream against the evidence." Now, I don't have a whole lot of time this morning to get into the apologetics about this proof and 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 that the technical apologetics and theology about the resurrection, but here's what I do know. It amazes me what people will believe that doubt the resurrection. I mean, this historically proven Jesus, and we talk about this resurrection, they're like, oh, him raised from the dead? People can't come back from the dead, and yet we believe in horoscopes and tarot cards and crystals and... Fortune cookies and Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster. I mean, some people even believe they have seen loved ones that have passed away. And scripturally, that is an impossibility. Listen to me. The people by the billions on our planet far more believe in things supernatural than don't believe in the supernatural. Did you, you understand that? I mean, cultures across the globe believe in supernatural things. Americans in our own continent believe in supernatural things. And we're going to have a difficult time about believing a supernatural act of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead? What makes Christian? and here's why I think the difference is, what makes Christianity different than any other belief is because we do have a resurrected Savior. We have a resurrected Savior. He said in John eleven twenty five. 25... He's talking to Mary and Martha. Remember, we just talked about Mary going to the tomb, but Mary and Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He said a few chapters later in 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Why? Because he alone is the resurrected Savior. There are not many gods. There is one. There is not many roads. There is one. The only God is the Father, and the only way is Jesus. In First Corinthians 15, I mean, think about this. 15 verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised. I, matter of fact, I wanna, I'm going to issue a challenge right now. Sometimes at the end of service, when after response time, you know, I give challenges, and I may do that. I don't know. It always kind of hits me. With, you know, It's always kind of a spontaneous thing I do that. But I want to encourage you today, before you go to bed, to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You really need to, On I think, a, a, the best day to read 1 Corinthians 15 is on Easter Sunday. But verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Paul is writing here, and that's 1 Corinthians 15, is a lot about Christ's death and resurrection and how it impacts us and, and our death and our own resurrection. But if all this didn't happen, then it's all in vain. If the resurrection did not happen, you see, he could have taught all that he did. He could have done all the miracles that he did. He could have done the Sermon on the Mount. He could have suffered all what he was punished with the cat of nine tails and the crown of thorns. He could have been put upon the cross with the nails in his hands and his feet, and he could have died. But I'm going to tell you what solidifies, what puts power into all that he did is that he rose again on the third day, that he is the resurrected Jesus Christ. By him coming out of that grave on the third day, it seals the rest of it. Do you hear me this morning? So because Jesus has risen, the cross is enough. Because Jesus has risen, the cross is enough. Let me be clear. It's not about the cross. It's what happened on the cross. You see, the cross, it doesn't save us. It's Christ that saves us. The Christ was the the executioner's tool, but it's a tool that paved a way for us to have eternal life. As Angel said earlier, the Bible tells us there can be no forgiveness of sins except through the blood. It's through the blood of Jesus that we have our sins are cleansed. It is the tool that paved us the way to have eternal life. The scriptures doesn't tell us that we've been forgiven because of the cross. The scripture tells us we've been forgiven because he was the lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. When we say the cross enough, what we're saying is the price that Jesus paid is enough. I'm not against crosses. I'm not against crosses on necklaces. I'm not against crosses on walls or anything of that nature. But believer, let me remind you, that was just the tool to pave the way. I, one of my favorite songs is, The Cross Has the Final Word. And just a few of the, just a few of the words. The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. Sorrow may come in the darkest night, but the cross has the final word. There's nothing stronger, nothing higher. There's nothing greater than the name of Jesus. But there's nothing magical about the cross or any cross. It is about Jesus and what he did on that cross. The cross is a symbol of atonement. The cross is a symbol of atonement. I know that's kind of a a word that we're not used to, that we don't hear very often, but the cross is a symbol of atonement. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live their righteousness by his wounds. By his wounds you have been healed. The the cross is a symbol of atonement. What the symbol is, is that there was... Nothing that could be done that could bridge the gap between us and God except what Christ did upon the cross. And he made atonement. He intervened in the humanity and said, You are a sinful race and a fallen race, but my sacrifice and my blood is enough. And so I'm atoning for all the wrong things that have ever been done, that you could be cleansed and washed... And be spotless bride of Christ, I'm gonna pay that price that you can go across that chasm and be reconciled with the Father. That's what atonement is, and that's what the cross represents. The cross also symbolizes the last sacrifice. And I think this is so important because, up until this matter of fact, there were sacrifices happening. At the temple while Jesus is on the cross and while he's dying. And they're going through their ritual of slaughtering the pigeons and doves and goats and cows and and that gory thing that was taking place. But the cross would be the last altar needed for blood to be spilt. That's how powerful that his blood is. That deserves a good amen. Amen. In Colossians chapter 2, it tells us, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it, to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphant, triumphing over them and him. Listen to me. Listen to how the scripture says this. We were made alive together with him because of the cross. We are forgiven of all, everybody say all, all of our trespasses because of the atonement that he made, and the legal demands against us were met. Many of you have heard the verse before, for the wages of sin is death. That is the truth of Scripture. Listen, we cannot do enough on our own. We can never measure up with our own right actions. It doesn't matter how much you do right. You could not, we know for, right, We know there is no perfect human being that walks the earth. None of us are perfect. If you think you're perfect, then look at your neighbor and, and see if they let you get away with that. <laughs> but if there was somebody, if there was somebody, which there's not, is the only way that they could escape the punishment of death. But see, the, there was one that did, who was sinless and spotless. And tempted as every point as, as you could ever be tempted, and he was sacrificed on the cross. And when he shed that blood, we were able to have complete forgiveness and restoration. Number two is this: because Jesus has risen, He is who He said he was. He is who He said He was. Because Jesus has risen, He is who He said He was. And I love the I am statements. You guys know this. If you've been in church here at, at any amount of time, you know that I talk about the compound names of God in the Old Testament, the Jehovah names of God. And also in the New Testament, we see Jesus have that same pattern when he makes declarations, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I'm the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection of the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine but many people believe a a falsity if that's is that a word i'm going to make it a word it's a word now (laughs) that uh, jesus never declared himself to be god and that is not the pattern that we see in the new testament matter of fact there are several things that point to him exactly saying that same thing but i'm going to tell you this morning is that jesus is god Jesus is God, and I'm just going to go to one verse, so we're going to get kind of, you know, it's a little theological just for, I mean, kind of, you know, in that just really deep, just for a second. In John chapter 8 and 58, I love this verse. In John chapter 8 and verse 58, Jesus said to them, so you know, he's teaching, he's going about doing his thing, and he's, he's talking mostly at this in John chapter 8 to a bunch of the Sadducees, the religious of the day that would soon be, Hold him in trial and be instrumental in crucifying. And, he, and Jesus says, "This truly, truly, I say to you: Before Abraham was, I am." Does that when he when he he's not saying right here, uh, you know, he, it's not followed by anything. He he's not saying, "I'm the good shepherd. I'm I am the bread of life. I am." He he's not making. He's simply say, and he doesn't say. Abraham was, I was. He says, Abraham was, I am. Does anybody make a connection right now about him making the declaration that I am? Well, where we hear that is some thousands of years before when Moses in Exodus chapter 3 is having an encounter at the burning bush. And when he has this encounter with God at the burning bush, and there's this conversation, God is saying, I've heard the cries of my people. I want to deliver them. And, all, and this whole encounter is happening. You know, it's holy ground. And Moses asks, Who do I say who sent me? And God tells him, You tell them, I am sent you. Come on, somebody. What we're seeing happen in the Hebrew, we're seeing happen in the Greek of Jesus saying, I am. I am expressing his eternal nature, his limitless capabilities, his oneness with God the Father. And a matter of fact, to give you a picture, you're saying, well, I don't know if I necessarily believe that. When Jesus said Abraham was I am. If you go on to read John chapter 8, you'll see the religious of that day, the Pharisees and Sadducees, as soon as Jesus made that declaration, I am. They didn't do this when he said, I'm the good shepherd. They didn't do this when he said, I'm the bread of life. They didn't do this when he said, I'm the light of the world. But when he made that declaration, I am, they immediately wanted to stone him. What do you think it meant to them when he said, I am? Are you following me? Are are we tracking together? It's important to understand that. Let's move on. Number three. Number three, because my timer's flashing at me. Number three. Because Jesus has risen, we will rise. (laughs) Oh, that's not the end, friend. And even if... I've said this so many times, so many funerals, so many messages, if the Lord tarries and I enter into eternity through death, there will be a day you'll read my obituary and it'll have, the, you know, a few sentences, you know, he, you know, proceeded in death by, and he was born here, died here, and he was a redneck, and... I want to tell you, and then when you read those words, don't you believe it for a second. Because in that moment, I'm going to be more alive than what I ever was when I walked this earth. Why do I believe that? Because Jesus has risen, we will rise. And so, I'm reminding you, I asked you to read 1 Corinthians 15. Let's just look at some verses. It's very quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning... Okay, I'm adding two more minutes. <laughs> kind of. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. You see, this we're getting to the end of the chapter here, of this whole chapter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about Christ's death, about its meaning, the importance, the power, all kinds of things. Then we get to verse 51. We shall not all sleep. "...but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed." For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body put on immortality. And the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass a saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? There's going to be a day, church, listen to me. I, I don't know how it's all going to happen or work out. I, you know Some time ago, we pre- I preached a series about this and about the rapture of the church. But listen to me. There will be a day that, by, that there will be some of us that remain, that we are going to hear that trumpet of God blow. We're going to hear the, the, the angel of the Lord calling. And the Bible says that we're going to be caught up We're going to be caught up. Listen, if we can believe that somebody can be raised from the dead, we can believe we can be caught up. (laughs) It's It's not too much of a stretch of the imagination. And the Bible says we're going to meet him in the clouds, and there's going to be a reunion. But something else happens. The Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first, and that means there's going to be graves From centuries past and a millennia past, from from that moment into the beginning of history, of bodies. That have uh, People have died and gone before us, and they're going to raise up and be reunited with their spirit. And there's something very important that's going to happen. Those that have been dead, they're going to receive their new bodies that's imperishable. And those that remain, they are also going to be shifted and changed. We don't know exactly what that's going to be or look like, but I'm going to tell you, there's a reunion coming, there's a homecoming coming, Hint, the song we said earlier, remember? Okay, I was just for free. I told Angela, I said, you know, and I don't know, I, you know, people, I, I, more recently than ever, I think it's the cost of funerals. I've been asked so many times about, about cremation or anything. like. Listen to me. I, I believe that, that voice, you gotta think about that voice. In John chapter 11, when Jesus called out Lazarus' name, I'm going to tell you what I believe is that it don't matter. It didn't matter what condition Lazarus was in. He was coming out of that grave, and there will be a day that he calls your name. That he calls you. I told Angela, I was like, you know what? Just save the money. Just cremate me. Put me in a deer feeder. Let the deer just let the 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 life cycle go on. It's okay. This is just a shell. I'm I'm convinced my. My, uh, my, 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 my body of immortality is going to be a few inches taller and a little bit thinner. Because Jesus has risen, this is where we're closing, because Jesus has risen, all the promises of God are available to us. How many times have I told you? If all that Jesus did was down the cross for us, it's enough. If there was never another prayer answered, if there was never another miracle, simply by him paying the ransom that I owed and him taking my place, it's enough. But God never leaves it. At that. This scripture is full of the promises of God. Because Jesus has risen, all the promises of God, or see what happened with his death and resurrection, he sealed, he sealed every single promise. The Bible tells us, it's one of my favorite verses 2 Corinthians 1 for all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Let me just give you just a visual picture very quickly. All the promises, so, I mean, what are all the promises of God? I mean, not, I, I would assume that's all of them, right? I mean, all means all. Every one of them, every single one of them. For all the promises of God find their what? Their yes in him. I mean, if a promise of God was a person and they were going on a hunt, I mean, I, I thought of, here. I, I, had, <laughs> I wish I'd have done it now. I thought about hiding some prize Easter eggs into the sanctuary and just doing an Easter hunt really quick. And... Uh, but if that's what—if—if if you can just picture that in your mind, if the promises of God were on a hunt, they would always find it. <laughs> Isn't that a beautiful image? How, you know, back when I was a kid, I, we don't do this much anymore. But when I was a kid, we still did hid-bulld eggs. Did anybody ever do that? Did anybody never not find the egg? but you smelled it a little bit later I'm a, not one of God's promises will ever be forgotten about you'll find every single one of them and all of God's promises mean that you are redeemed that you are healed that you are saved that he has Washed you and he has cleansed you, he has renewed you, he has made you a new creation. All the old stuff is gone. Every but the scripture doesn't start, stop right there. This is why it is through him who's the him is Jesus that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Just very quickly, when you see the word amen in scripture. It has one very simple meaning. We, you know, when we pray, we say amen. You know, we say in Jesus' name, amen. And, or maybe, you know, when either you're trying to hurry me up or I'm preaching good, you might say amen. I'm so, you know. But amen has a meaning. And what it means is, so be it. It means so be it. So his promises, they're yes in him. And there, so be it in Him. Yes and amen. Would you stand this morning? Wow. Thank you so much for joining us. It's such an honor that you would listen to our podcast. I hope and pray that you are ministered to in a very special way. Don't forget, this goes out on several different platforms. It goes out, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean. If you would, Like, share, help us get the word out. If you want more information about us, just go to odessafirst.com or any of the social media platforms. God bless you.